You know, I, I don't have anything against this girl here. Look, Major, I'm gonna marry my girl if I have to give up my American citizenship to do it. Oh, Kelly, you stupid, ignorant slob. Hello, and welcome to the Screen Test of Time, the podcast where we watch every movie ever nominated for Best Picture. I'm Susan Araslin. I'm David Daw. And this week we watched the third of the 1957 nominees, the one we had been dreading, Sayonara, starring Marlon Brando and Miko Taka? I, be- Miko. I believe. Miko. I believe it's Miko. Yes. Taka. But yeah, um... You know, was not as bad as expected. Oh, for sure not. Um, and like I think we both were sort of nonplussed by this movie at first, and toward the end, I came around to going like, "Hey, despite some spicy subject matter that we have not seen handled well before, and despite what I would argue is probably the worst Brando performance we've ever seen, I still think this movie's just kind of mediocre." Yeah, like it's just. Bah. It's just there. It never actually outright does anything terrible. Its sort of portrayal of Japan is pretty broad, but since it's pretty broadly positive, I'm not sure how angry I can get about that in 1957. Yeah, I mean, I think that this movie is for 1957, and we're talking 10 years before anti-miscegenation laws were overturned in the U.S. by the Supreme Court. So, like, that's a long time. Yeah. It's pretty brave by the standards of the era. It is one of the movies that fails the screen test of time, not because it is horrifically racist or... It's it's kind of sexist in certain ways, and I think also kind of exoticizes Japanese women in ways that are problematic, but it's not... I mean... So does a lot of shit that comes out now. (laughs) Right. It's just that it approaches this subject in a way that uh, is much more trepidatious than I think we would see today. That it is a little bit nervous about doing it in the first place. But it does it as opposed to something like the... Oh god, what was the movie that we watched that was ostensibly about the Dreyfus affair and then literally never said anything about Jews or anti-Semitism? <laughs> oh, right. The uh fuck. I don't remember. Uh I just Anyway, yeah. you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. This movie is afraid of approaching its subject matter and its message and then does it anyway, which I think is commendable. But it's a little bit hesitant, I guess would be the the word that I would use. And yeah, Brando's performance is does it even make any sense? <laughs> like, in the initial credits, it says, you know, dialect coach for Mr. Brando. And I was like, oh, okay, well, what is he playing? And then never at any point is it like, oh, you're from such and such place. And in fact, at one point, his character is asked where he is from. And he says the U.S. And then, you know, they ask him to clarify. And he's like, oh, that doesn't matter or whatever. And I'm like, then why do you have this weird mumbly, like, southern question mark texas question mark accent he does specify that he is from the south that he is he went he grew up on a bunch of military bases in the south 
but they do never specify exactly where, and it does feel like that is a cheat because he just kind of does a drawl sometimes. Yeah, at one point he says something about his parents living in Tulsa, but I'm also like, okay, I that doesn't... I mean, again, like, he, he was a, a military brat because his dad is a general, so, like, maybe they moved to Tulsa after he left home. We don't even know. Um... And yeah, it is, I mean, this is definitely something that uh, I'm going to pick on because, like, I'm Southern and so I know the difference between a Georgia accent and an East Tennessee accent and a Middle Tennessee accent and an Alabama accent. And, like, whatever it is that he has is, like, a satire of people who don't know that there's a difference in Southern accents and just think that if you mumble and drawl, like, that's good enough. Yeah, I mean, I I think that's sort of the the problem with his whole performance in Microcosm is that in a way that I'm that like we've really complimented Brando in the past for not doing this just feels like a bunch of stuff with no why to it. And I do think part of that is the script's problem that this character kind of just falls in love with a Japanese woman. Um, to be fair, she is wearing a really rad hat and hanging out with an eagle. It was a rooster with a really long tail. Fair. Okay. But still, she looked rad as hell. But it was rad. Yeah. The rooster is all white and has like a peacock length tail and she is wearing a white suit and a white hat and like, yeah, I get it. (laughs) Yeah. But that is basically all the reason you are given for their relationship in this two and a half hour movie. And like... I don't want to put all that on Brando, but in the past, we've seen Brando take about that much material and make it work. And this time, he just kind of feels like he's there, sometimes doing kind of a shucksy drawl, sometimes not. Um, And then at the end, he says sayonara and the movie's over. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I think the better question is, why does she fall in love with him? Mm. Especially given that she has a really good reason to not like Americans. Yeah, like their relationship is mystifying, but the other, the sort of stake in the ground relationship, the relationship between uh, one of Brando, who's just named Ace. (laughs) His actual name is Lloyd, but basically everybody except his fiance's mom calls him Ace all the time. So Ace has this subordinate that is marrying a Japanese woman so that the start of the film, the first act, can be him aw shucksing his way through like, I don't have anything against the Japanese. I just think you should marry a good American woman who's respectable. Again, nothing against the Japanese. Just think you shouldn't marry him. And it's like, well, then you do. But okay, clearly this is like here so that we're seeing the transformation later. And then there isn't really much of a transformation later, but also that other relationship that you think, like, is going to be kind of more filled in also isn't very filled in. But it does feel real. When you meet them, no. But, like, over the course of the movie, it feels very, like... Yes. There's a lot of really nice and really heartstring-tugging moments in their relationship, and I don't mean, like, necessarily the end of that, uh, like, how they end up in... by the end of the movie but it's kind of nice 
It's weird that they got married and, like, neither one of them could speak the other one's language. But, you know, I, I'm i sure that that is not the first time that that has ever happened in the history of the world. Yeah. I guess we should go through the plot of this movie. Sure. Because it is, there's not a whole lot of it. No, and it is definitely a thing where I would say you could sort of break it down by character in a weird sort of way. Because Brando's whole plot is he goes over to Japan doesn't really care one way or another and is kind of thoughtlessly racist toward the Japanese in Act 1, meets this woman, meets Hannah Ogi, and falls instantly in love with her because she's wearing a rad-ass suit, follows her around for a while in a sequence that's kind of creepy, but then the two of them fall in love and are going to split up because the United States military keeps trying to force them apart, Um, But then because of the sort of dramatic turn in Act 3 that we will get to, they end up deciding to stay together and get married. And then the end of it is everybody at Stars and Stripes, the military newspaper, going like, you're a huge news story because you're the son of a four-star general and she's like the biggest actress in Japan. What do you have to say? And he goes, the title of the movie um, and, and <laughs> well, that's... Well, they said, what do, you have, what do you have to say to people who might be bothered by this or whatever? <laughs> and yes, then he says the title of the movie, which, in case you've forgotten, is Sayonara. Yeah. Meanwhile, uh, Joe Kelly, who is the subordinate, uh, is getting married in Act 1 without Marlon Brando's approval, but he does come and be the best man to a Japanese woman named Katsumi. Uh, Katsumi is great. Uh, Katsumi, I I love that really the only thing you get about why they are together from her perspective is just her smiling and going, he's very tall. And yet that still, that kind of comes off as charming. And he's not, by the way. He's like a foot shorter than Brando. (laughs) Yeah. It does come off as charming. And she is, she is just delightful. Like, I get why you would marry her even if you didn't uh, have the ability to have a conversation with her because she's just like... She's very pleasant and she's funny. Like, she's funny even when you don't know what she's saying. Yeah. Like, she has a very good sense of humor. I like her a lot. And I think both of them, Miyoshi Omeki, who plays Katsumi, and Red Buttons, who plays Joe Kelly, and I laugh at his name every time. (laughs) That is fair. It is there to be laughed at. I think both of them play the sort of everyman-ness of that relationship very well. They are supposed to be the kind of more, like, down-to-earth normalizing version of this versus the sort of over-the-top melodrama of, you know, Brando. And, you know, big romance. Like, though, that Brando and Taka have this, like, very... They're supposed to have this very, like, lush, sexy cover of a pulp novel romance that... I, I sure I guess, <laughs> but it feels so much less lived in than the one between Katsumi and Joe Kelly. Yeah, I think probably because like all Brando and Taka seem to be doing is like hooking up in some bedroom somewhere. <laughs> yeah, and then like people make grand pronouncements about them, or they make grand pronouncements about like life, but there is like no scene of them just kind of hanging out and being in love yeah it's weird (laughs) yeah and so like it i think it is in the movie's favor in some ways mostly because the actual sort of third act big dramatic climax 
is that Joe is ordered to go back to America and ordered to go back to America alone without Katsumi, and she is pregnant. And the two of them, in what is very clearly telegraphed for a long enough time that you're like, oh, no, oh, no, because they, like, go see a play and talk about the, like, long Japanese history of basically suicide-packed love affairs as a dramatic device. And you go, oh, boy, oh, Jesus, oh, no. I bet that's going to have some (laughs) bearing on something at some point. Yep. And it, it does, yeah. Yes. And, like... I think the best portion of Brando's performance, because I don't think he does the romance very well, but I do think he does the trying not to punch everyone he sees in the face for the next 15 minutes of the film after Joe Kelly dies and Katsumi dies. Pretty good. Yeah. You know what? I I think you're right. I mean, that is Brando's like thing that he has more than anybody else is that ability to portray that he wants to punch someone in the face and is not doing it and that is it's hard to portray what one is not doing an action one is not performing and he does it very very well yeah i i think that is probably like this is a movie that finishes i would say pretty strong as much as i make fun of the like last line being the title thing i think it does too i definitely thought that when the military was like everybody who's married to a japanese woman has to go be reassigned to not japan that uh, i really thought brando was gonna dump her yeah i think that it is to the movie's credit that i wasn't sure about it and then he was like nope they can kiss my ass (laughs) which is i guess what the that's really what he means by sayonara (laughs) yeah um the the third plot which is simultaneously the least important but also kind of the weirdest because it never really resolves and also has our only actual i would say like really not screen test of time erased thing about it is that uh brando has an american fiance that he kind of just drifts away from well she kind of drifts away from him because he doesn't want to uh, how is it that she phrase it like take her against a barn or something like that yeah grab her and like drag her out to a shack or something i get what she's going for but also maybe that maybe like you should you should have greater expectations of uh romance and also more respect for yourself yeah (laughs) but like it's i mean to me it's weird because it is so out of step with brando's performance because like later on she's like you know i always you know i wanted that raw animal passion out of him and i don't get it but like hana ogi does and you're like she does like he still seems like kind of a like lackadaisical like drawly kind of dude even when he's in love with hannah Ogi. yeah like pretty much all the time that he's around her he's on his back <laughs> yeah so like it is very weird that she's like i've just always sensed that vibe from you that just like you're so passionate but that passion isn't directed at me and it's like he doesn't seem like a particularly passionate guy actually no nah, at best he's like languid <laughs> yeah Um, But she ends up in a relationship that kind of fizzles out 
right as it becomes something more than just a friendship with a kabuki performer who is for some reason played by Ricardo Montalban, even though they actually cast Japanese people for everything else. They not only actually cast Japanese people for everything else, like, I mean, again, talking about this movie being very brave for the time, there's like kissing and not just implied sex or, I mean, we don't see the sex, but we know, like they're talking about it happening. We see them in bed together. People get married. Yeah. And it's a white guy and a Japanese woman. But this guy that never kisses her, like it never actually goes anywhere. They couldn't find a Japanese guy to play him. Yeah. <laughs> Seems real fucking weird. Because it's like, it would make sense by the standards of the whole haze code, like, oh, we can't even talk about miscegenation or or what we can talk about it, but we can't actually like have two actors of different races touch each other, which is so fucking weird. But it, that's clearly not the case in this movie. So what what is going on? <laughs> and like, hey, I like Ricardo Montalban. I think he's quite a good actor. I, I am too much of a Trek nerd to ever actually talk shit about Ricardo Montalban, but this is not a performance that required Ricardo Montalban. No. This is not a, like, the best actor for the job. We just had to get this, like, kind of performance. Yeah. It is, especially as it's edited in this movie, because I got to assume there were some extra scenes that were cut, because it's just such a weird plotline otherwise, that it just sort of feels like... This is kind of a nothing part. Like, why did you, why did you bother to get a name, let alone do race inappropriate casting just to get a name? Is he even like big on the poster? No, I mean it's like. No, I. That's the other thing I'm thinking is like it's 57. It's not really like the 70s is like when Ricardo Montalban is like we got Ricardo Montalban here, everybody's favorite dude. He's on Columbo again. <laughs> Welcome to Fantasy Island. It's fucking Khan. Yeah. In the 50s, he's just kind of a guy. Um, So it's very weird. It is very weird. Yeah. And also, like, I gotta say, I think that he is, I don't think his performance is particularly good. And I think part of that is that he's well aware that it makes no goddamn sense for him to be playing this part. I, yeah. <laughs> like, basically, the only thing I can say for it is like he leans hard into the restraint of the character just so you don't have to really watch him try and do very much performing because I think he's smart enough to know like, well, if I go big with this, that's a bad idea, right? Oh, apparently he thought it was a great performance and was hoping for an Oscar nomination, but that most of his scenes ended up on the cutting room floor. Okay, see, now that makes more sense to me. The first part, I still think even if I saw the full thing, I would be like, maybe, maybe not a top five Montalban. Maybe, maybe should have put yeah. <laughs> put your chips behind another hand. But like this part was two or three times larger than it is in the final film would make a lot of sense to me because he really has so much set up. And then has one line of beginning to pay any of that off. And then he disappears from the film. Yeah. And like, nobody even references him again. He is disappeared. 
it makes sense that a lot of it ended up on the cutting room floor. And, you know, the movie is already two and a half hours long, mm-hmm. so I understand why, because it is really a third, almost a fourth plot. Like, if you consider Brando's relationship with Sokka to be, like, the one plot, the other plot is his fighting with the military. It's like a fourth plot between his ex fiance and this kabuki performer. It's just not at all important and it feels like it's going in a direction where the general who has declared that everybody has to go away if they married a japanese woman they're like in his own family under his own roof his daughter is involved with someone who's japanese and like he's going to learn to not be a dick or whatever and then it doesn't do that yeah (laughs) Which I guess would take away from Brando's, like, tell him we said sayonara. Yeah. And, like, I also think that it's, like, that plot line is clearly there to make it kind of okay for Eileen, the fiancé that Brando leaves her. So, like, well, she, but she's in love with Nakamura. She dumped him! She totally dumped him. Absolutely. <laughs> like, no question. But I think that that's one of the reasons why they kind of went like, oh, we don't really need this, is like, one, she dumped him, and two, you don't actually give a shit about Eileen. Like, by the time that becomes plot relevant, you care way more about what Eileen's parents think of Brando's relationship than what Eileen thinks of it. Yeah. I mean, the thing that actually made me care about Eileen, because at first I was like, this is, like, I... I get it. You know, if you are, you don't want to marry somebody that you don't have a passionate relationship with. I'm not going to fault you for that. But she does kind of seem like a brat at first. And then when she's like, in a weird way, standing up for him to her parents, I'm like, yeah, okay, cool, Eileen, good on you. Because you have no, no reason to do that. Like, yeah, if some guy I broke up with did something that my parents thought wasn't great and I thought was fine... I I don't think I would fight that hard for my ex. (laughs) I'd just be like, yeah, I don't think what Winnie's doing is wrong. Not, I'm going outside to see a Japanese man, which is sort of what she does. Yeah. I'd just be like, you guys are being dumb. This is fine. Yeah. Like, I like, honestly, (laughs) that still, it felt very in character for her as kind of a brat. To be like, oh, yeah. And now I'm making this about me somehow. <laughs> and like, okay. Yeah, I, guess, I guess she did kind of do that, huh? <laughs> I didn't really think about it, but that is sort of what she does. <laughs> oh, Eileen. You, you kind of brat. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and this movie is strange because it's not that great. Um, It has a, a decent message. I think that it definitely... It definitely makes Hanaogi, like, this emblem of, like, exotic, erotic, sensual Eastern woman that I really don't vibe with. No. And it makes no sense that she's, like... I hate all American men. They're terrible. They killed my family in World War II. And then, like, somehow, after Brando's just leering at her, asks Joe Kelly to set them up on a date where she's like, yeah, I used to hate Americans, but now I want to date you. And I'm like, why? What? What? 
I agree completely. Like, I think that, like, Miko Taka does her absolute best with it. But I do think that, like, a core problem with this movie is she is introduced as a significantly radder character than this character she has to suddenly become just so a relationship with Brando is workable. Mm, Yes. Because, like, she is introduced as this independent woman who is single-minded in her career goals and who has a really justified hatred of all Americans. And then, because I think the movie knows, like... That's a spicy meatball. Like, we cannot get into the moral justification of, like, the firebombing of Japan. Firebombing my ass, the nuclear weapon. Right. Well, right. But, like, very explicitly, her father was killed. Right. Not by the... But, like, yeah. There's even this little, like, hints at her being sort of genderqueer because the type of performance that she does, like... Because they talk about how in Kabuki that the men play all of the roles, including the women characters, and then... I'm not sure what the name for her type of performance is or if it's even ever actually named anything, but that women play all of the roles there. So sometimes she plays men characters, which is why she's coming out in this badass suit with the like modified fedora and then holding this huge tailed rooster on her arm. And that like, that's the point where Brando falls in love with her is like, oh, that's that's hot and i'm like yes that is true that is a a woman in a well-tailored suit is one of the hottest things on the planet but then she just becomes like your garden variety like what she is on the poster honestly is the the hollywood version of the exotic sensual eastern woman yeah and it's kind of disappointing oh it's absolutely disappointing like she kind of disappears as a character into this romance yeah and like it sucks because like you say like i'm going to butcher the pronunciation of it but the the theater company she is in is very clearly based on takarazuka uh which is an actual all-female review in japan this troupe that's been around for years and years and does really interesting original adaptations of shit, like constantly and like pretty modern stuff. Like they did a musical version of Catch Me If You Can a couple years ago. Whoa, this is awesome. Yeah, they're rad as hell in real life and super duper more interesting than the version you get in this movie, which I get why like we don't make the entire movie about it. But, like, in the movie, they're kind of just, like, they're not allowed to date men, is sort of all you learn about this company. You see them perform once, and it's pretty rad, but it's for about ten seconds. Yeah, it's not as long as some of the uh, performances that we've seen in other movies that are about various types of performers. And there is so much kabuki in this. Yeah. And, like, again, what a weird choice to, like, keep that in there if you're going to cut, like, the back half of whatever plot Nakamura originally had as a character. Yeah. Because it's a bunch of, like, kind of interesting setup. I do think there's some kind of interesting genderqueer stuff going on there, too. In terms of the script, I don't think Ricardo Montalban's doing all that much with it. But, like, in scripted-wise... Like, there is this very clear thing where Brando is, like, absolutely forgets that Nakamura is a man when he is playing a woman. And also Eileen falls for this guy who she frequently sees dressed as a woman. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, there is some, actually, 
there is there there are some interesting uh ideas about gender and sexuality that are brought up through these characters and their performances that then are never followed which like fine Ugh. yeah like <laughs> like as a queer person i get it like it's gonna be forever until anyone like face on confronts any of this stuff but it is interesting and then it stops being interesting because we take that away from taka because hana ogi becomes like just and exclusively high femme it's <laughs> honestly disappointing on a ton of levels i mean like, it, it is disappointing because her character kind of goes away. It's disappointing because she's not wearing a rad white suit anymore. <laughs> and it's disappointing because it just sort of feels way more cliched than, like, the travel loggy portion at the start of this film for the first 30 or so minutes. You're like, wow, they're spending way too much time on this. But, like, it's actually kind of interesting. And then that's kind of all you get. Like, once she shows up, the travelogue portion is over. They don't, like, discuss any of the theater troops that the t some of the main characters are in anymore. Like, it just is... It is only an obstacle to their love and nothing more after that. By contrast, Joe Kelly and Katsumi, their relationship, and they actually both won for uh, Best Supporting Actor and Actress, and I think they absolutely should have, feels so much more lived in and there are there is a little detail that happens in here after the announcement is made that you know everybody who is married to a japanese woman is going to be transferred and he finds a brochure that she has for the eyelid surgery that a lot of people get today it's like an epicanthal fold surgery to give a double eyelid um that is more traditionally considered to be western though there are asian people who have it naturally it's just a genetic thing that she's gonna get the surgery and she's like but then i can go to america and i'll fool everybody if i get this and he's really upset because he's like why would you do a surgery to yourself <laughs> for this yeah and like that i think is such an interesting and really just heartbreaking moment and it shows how much he loves her and how much he wants to protect her and doesn't want her to like i mean surgery is dangerous and also like he doesn't know this guy this guy's like handing out brochures you know like he's probably not the best surgeon in japan and she just is like willing to do whatever it takes to be with him and that little detail is just so much there's so much more relationship in that scene than in the whole of Brando and Taka's version of their relationship. <laughs> and yet they're the ones who get to stand up and be like the badasses who, you know, tell their respective cultures to go fuck themselves at the end and are like, yeah, we're the models of brave interracial marriage instead of like they die together. <laughs> Which I guess is why it's Joe and Katsumi who die together, because, like, I care. Yeah, I think that's a little bit, like, I'm coming around on this movie. I'm not going to, like, give it a 10 or even an 8. But, like, I'm coming around on the idea that, like, in a way, the big melodramatic, like, romance, grand sweeping romance of Brando's plotline is kind of the spoonful of sugar for 
their relationship that actually examines any of this stuff. And it's hard and painful and potentially tragic realism. Really? Yeah. And, like, I kind of respect the movie for that, even though I do think it is kind of a, like, waste of a Brando performance as a result. Yeah. Oh, uh, one more thing I wanted to say is um, the, like, American embassy they keep trying to get people into is actually a modestly famous location in Los Angeles called Yamashiro, which was this, like, actual Japanese cultural exchange site built in the early 20th century. Um, And then World War II happened, and that went kind of bad for it, and it shut down, and people um, kind of defaced the place. And then it got bought up and was going to be turned into a bunch of apartments, but the guy who bought it while looking through the property was like, this place is actually rad as fuck, and uh, restored it and got it found as a site of historical significance. And there is a really great Japanese restaurant there with a really great view of the city because it's up in the Hollywood Hills that I have gone to once or twice before. It is a little bit weird because it is just a little bit weird to like be within walking distance of like the Magic Castle and be in like this very Japanese architecture. It's a very weird and particular site, and the architecture is actually extremely faithful to Japan. So that's it's actually used as a location for tons of things set in Japan, but they use it as an exterior a lot in this movie. It's like 10 or so minutes of this movie is very clearly filmed there. The end. Oh, man. I have to go here when I come visit you next, because it looks amazing. Actually, going there was the last thing I did before uh, the pandemic hit. It's gorgeous. We had a very late birthday party for me in 2020 uh, with some friends, and we were like, you know, we've never been to Yamashiro. We should we should go, uh, and had a really great time. And then, like, a week later, we, you could not leave your house again for, like... yeah. I feel like everybody has that story of, like, February slash March of 2020 where that, like, shit was going really well. Or they had, like, a really lovely, memorable experience. Like, a thing that they might remember for the rest of their lives. Or at least, like, for a long time. And and then it's like, this is what we, this is what we paid for it. Yeah. <laughs> like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, um, on that incredibly depressing note uh yeah i mean i i think that this movie has it has its good elements uh it has its bad elements its bad elements are mostly the you know being very stereotypical about japanese women um or asian women generally i do feel like katsumi kind of sidesteps that in a weird way because like and I thought that she was not going to because at first she's very quiet because she does not actually know English. Joe doesn't know Japanese. There's this big scene where Brando comes over to their home for the first time after they get married. And she does the sort of traditional welcoming of, you know, appearing at the doorway and bowing literally to the ground while kneeling and welcoming them to the home. And I'm like, 
oh, is she just going to be that for the whole movie? And then, like, blessedly and actually kind of charmingly, like, no, like, it's a guest's first time in her home. Right. And she does that, and then she, then he is a friend. Then he is someone who is coming over to their home. And they talk like people. And she makes jokes, and she's like, yeah, it's, it's, she's really lovely. Like, she's, uh, she's a person. Yeah. <laughs> and Hana Ogi is not. Yeah. Hana Ogi starts out as one kind of icon and then ends up as another one with no transition in between where she is a human being. <laughs> yeah. There's not this like, oh, okay, well, she's, you know, this very famous actor and she is very elegant and desirable, but, you know, there's a softening of her where she becomes kind of a, a you know, a person with feelings. She's just Nope, she's she's just the geisha girl for Brando, basically. Yeah. Um. <sighs> yeah. But, again, it does actually confront the thing that it is about, and openly, and is on the side of right. And I also think something that we haven't really touched on, um, and while I don't like Ace Groover at all, uh, generally as a character, or I don't like Brando's performance of Ace Groover... Watching him transform from someone who could not imagine what it is like to even be attracted to an Asian person to basically a symbol of anti-racism and happy to embrace that is an interesting element of the performance because Ace definitely... He does not feel conflicted. There's no... And again, when I said that I felt like what they were going to do is he was just going to be like, well, I guess I got married to this lady, but now I'm just going to leave. And like, that was going to be the sayonara. Yeah. I was impressed that they did not make him straight out of the gate the like anti-racist or even just non-racist. That there actually was some kind of transformation there. And that it did not apply only to Hana Ogi, that it also applied generally to Katsumi and to, I mean, to everybody. Yeah. Yeah, it sucks that somebody has to, like, want to bang somebody to come around to thinking that their entire race and ethnicity is is human, but he does get there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, I think it is, for both of them, a script problem more than a performance problem, but for... Both of our leads, I do think that transformation is kind of their A and then their B, you know? It's rushed. And like, I, and I don't really get to live inside their head or see what is going on to transform them outside of they see each other and they think the other one is hot and they're correct. Mm. And like, I think that is kind of a failing of this movie, but I also think that like, Hey, you weirdly do get that in our kind of B plot couple. Right. You do get way more of a sense of what the sort of slow cultural exchange of being two people in love is like, instead of the grand romance of, you know, Brando. I wonder if that's some stuff that ended up on the cutting room floor, too. Because it does jump so quickly from one to the other, especially in Hanaogi's storyline, where it's like, oh, she she won't even look at Americans because she hates them so much to yeah. set me up on a date. 
is a big jump. Set me on a, up on a date where the first things that I ever say are, I hated Americans, but now I don't. <laughs> Basically. Right. And that, like, her reason she doesn't is she realized there was so much hatred in her, I guess? I guess, And then yeah. they're like, that doesn't make any sense. And then backfill this thing, this tragic backstory where her father sold her into slavery, essentially. And then that never really comes up again. It's just kind of a, like, Oscar Beatty speech. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Ugh. I, yeah, like, I, I don't think this movie does right by either of our leads. I think it is good despite the actual core plot of this movie. The more that I think about it, because I think everything around that is good. And, like, I do think that, hey, this movie deserves something just for the casting, you know? Just because it didn't fucking cast Jennifer Jones or some shit. Ah. I just, I just thought about that movie again and got so mad. Oh, I was, oh, I hated Love is a Many Splendored Thing. I hated it so much. Yeah. Sorry. I mean, it did get something. It got Red Buttons and uh, Miyoshi Yumeka both, or Yumeki both won Best Supporting Actor and Best Supporting Actress. And that is the thing it deserved. Yeah, absolutely. And like, I'm saying from us. Oh, yeah. And when I say like, Something I don't mean like I I just am I've been dancing around getting us to it. I think this movie is a six. I think it's a six too. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I almost want to give it a seven, but like a seven is like the screen test of time thing, right? Of like Yeah, I think it has to at least pass the screen test of time to get a seven. <laughs> right. But I'm also saying that like kind of the point of screen test of time as a project is like that this movie is a six and not a seven in a weird way. Yeah. I think on a lot of like placing this in its film historical context, I think it's a little bit better than a six, but I do think like hey, a lot of this doesn't work. Our core romance doesn't work. And even though it tries not to be racist and sidesteps a lot of the racist shit other similar movies have done literally within a year of this movie, um, it still does some weird crap. Yeah, well, because you've also got the... I keep forgetting about this, but the casting of Ricardo Montalban as Nakamura is not great. Yeah. Because I was going to say, yeah, when it comes to the intersection of race and gender is where it really kind of falls apart. But it's really... That's not the only place because of Ricardo Montalban. And uh, uh, that's really only true for Hana Ogi because for Katsumi, that's not the case. Yeah. Yeah. So six, uh, I, I don't think you should watch this movie. No. I mean, among other things, it's kind of irritating to find online. It's long. <laughs> which is maybe not the best reason to not watch something, but I found it in a in a it fell off the back of a truck. Yeah. Of a of an internet truck. I watched it through Tubi because my internet truck uh kept only delivering it to me two to three minutes at a time and then pausing again. Oh well that's annoying. So I decided to close that particular internet truck and just sign up for a free Tubi and watched it with ads. This movie actually plays pretty well with ads, by the way. Uh, it's got kind of that vibe of like, yeah, let's take a two or three minute break to just hear about the Samsung Galaxy, I guess. Sure. Why not? Yeah, it's uh, I, I wouldn't recommend watching it just because it's long. 
It's problematic for a number of reasons. Um, Brando's performance is not good. It is pretty. Like, the there's just a lot of really pretty scenes, which I guess are largely shot in the place you were talking about, <laughs> which is just gorgeous. So, like, anyone could take a good picture there. I think that the Kabuki performances are well staged and well shot, which is not always a thing that happens with theater on film. Brando is it's act one. So he is, of course, you know, bored and irritated by having to do cultural exchange. But I think they do a good job both of like, hey, setting up what is interesting about Kabuki and why it's good and actually paying respect to it. And actually having Brando do some pretty good one-liners in there. The one I actually particularly liked was when uh, Nakamura comes out and is in the sort of full kabuki, sort of what you think of as the traditional kabuki outfit with the big flowing hair um, and the face paint and the just the big, you know... Robe. Shoes and... The, yeah, thank you. Uh, and robe. Uh, and, like, stomping all around. When he uh, first appears... Brando just immediately goes, good God, it's my father. And it's like, that's that, that's actually a solid bit. I would laugh at that bit. Uh, and did in real life. But I'm saying, like, if I was there in a room with him while watching Kabuki, I would be like, listen, I like this and paid a little bit more respect than you're doing, maybe, but also good one. <laughs> uh, yeah, fair. Yeah. So next week, we are watching Peyton Place which is pretty famous as a very soapy kind of movie. Yeah. So I am looking forward to it. Yeah. I don't know anything about it, except that it is like uh, apparently very, very soapy. Yeah. I mean, it's the, it is the basis for the soap of the same name. Yes. I know it mostly as that. I don't really know anything about it as the film itself, except like, yeah, and then there was a TV show. Um, and so I'm interested to kind of see it in that context. I think I'm always a little more interested than you are in, like, the way film history kind of presages and interacts with television history, um, which is not really the point of this project, but I always, like, spot a movie a couple more points than you do for that, for, like, inventing the TV. If it inspired a television show? Well, or if it's just, like, I, I think kind of a lot of my uh, liking of Stagecoach was, like... Oh, yeah, yeah, you did like that movie. This invents the TV western, specifically the TV western. And you were like, yeah, but it like invent. It's boring. It's a shitty western. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> that's what they were every week, Tuesdays at four p.m. or whatever for ten years. But yeah, so I'm interested to see it in that context. But I'm also not really expecting all that much. I think we may have we may have seen our high points with the one-two punch of Twelve Angry Men and Bridge on the River Kwai. But we'll see, because we also have Witness for the Prosecution. And Peyton Place could be really amazing. So, yeah. Yeah, it might be. So, yeah, tune in next week to find out if Peyton Place, the movie, is as good, question mark, as uh, Peyton Place, the television show. And until then... This was kind of boring, but considering the subject matter, uh, I prefer that to every alternative we've watched. Boy, that is so true. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Goodbye. Major? 
The big brass are going to yell their heads off about this, and the Japanese aren't going to like it much either. Have you got anything to say to them, sir? Yeah. Tell them we said sayonara. <laughs>